0: This is chapter 46 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Filmmaker and YouTube personality Zach King brings some of his magic to this week's show and talks to us about his book that's more than a book. Don't worry, we'll explain. Plus, we'll hear from Steve Barry, whose newest thriller explores the motive behind Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination. If you're of a certain age, you might not recognize Zach King's name, but you've no doubt seen his handiwork. King is the mastermind behind those short YouTube videos edited to look like he's doing magic. You know the ones I'm talking about. Well, he's applying his brand of magic to books with his debut young adult book, Zach King, My Magical Life. He spoke with our Rob Holly about it. Give
1: me the broad overview of what this book is about. Yeah, the book is about me
2: back in middle school. So we took my character that my audience knows now. And if you haven't seen my videos, I kind of have known for these digital sleight of hands. A lot of people call them magic tricks, uh, digital illusions. And so we made a character who's back in middle school, and he's part of a magical family. So his name is my same name, Zach. And the, the problem is, his entire family, his extended family, they're all magical but he doesn't have the magic yet and he's in middle school. So his family thinks, oh, well, Zach's just going to be a regular kid for some reason. Maybe he just didn't get the magic gene. So they send him to public school because when you're in a magic family, you do like a homeschool training, You, you know, your magic when you're learning can all of a sudden go wrong and, you know, blow up part of the house. So you have to train at home. So they send Zach to public school. And of course, it's when he's at public school that he figures out, oh, I am magical, just like my family. And he kind of keeps it a secret for a long time. And, of course, when he's at school, it's all going very disastrous. But he's making friends and he loves it, so he keeps it a secret
1: from his family. As they say, hilarity ensues. It's
2: fun. And what I, what I love about the book, too, is, you know, we get to talk about topics that I think are really important for kids. I mean, it's amazing what young middle-grade students come up and tell me they're going through, you know, with bullying. Um, especially with the element of kids have phones now. And so we tried to just put little topics in there, um, not preaching at
1: the kids, but giving things that I think
2: need to be addressed for um, young kids, unfortunately.
1: Why was it important to do that in this book? You know,
2: I think it's because I feel like I have a responsibility just with having a large audience. And, you know, my my videos are known for being entertaining, being fun. And I felt like Given the longer form of narrative, you know, 207 pages of a book, we can dive into that. Like, I I haven't really been able to do that. Maybe on a live stream where I have an hour with my audience online, I can talk about those issues. But my videos are, you know, 15 seconds. We kind of get to the point really fast or 30 seconds at most. So I just I felt like in my heart, I wanted to use the pages to dive in a little bit deeper to some of those, those topics.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the the form of this book because it's not just a book. You also make use of augmented reality to help illustrate the book um, with pictures and and you can download an app onto a device. Was the AR portion of putting this book together, was that like set in your mind right from the get-go or as you were creating the story, did you think, oh, this would be really cool?
2: Yeah, right when I reached out to the initial um, HarperCollins team, I told them, hey, we we need to have this augmented reality portion. My team will do all the development on it. And so what it means is when you open up your phone, there's a free app that comes with the book. And you'll download it, you know, in the Android or Apple iPhone store. And you scan the pages just like you're looking through a camera. But what happens on the page of the art is it'll open up and the characters will pop out. And you can click on them or they'll run around or you'll see a little movie scene kind of play out with these augmented characters, these animated little people. And I wanted that in the book because you know, my, my brand is known for the magic. And I felt like this was the way to kind of manifest that the magic literally off the pages. And I was also a fan as a young kid of all the little pop-up books that would magically kind of fold out. And we looked at the price tag. I don't want to do that young of a demo, but we also looked at the price tag of doing that. We were like, wow, we can't. Can't do that, but we could do it in an app. And it's such a cool form because it's also where kids are so glued onto their phones. It's a fun medium to start to see them. You know, the parents say, Hey, well, we want you to read. Why don't you just take, you know, the device that you're already glued to over here and pair it with a book? And it gets them what we've seen kids do is there's 40 pages that are scannable. They'll go all the way through. And some of the parents have been like, Wait, are they going to read the book? But then they've seen all these cool little scenes, and they're like, wait, so why is there an alligator popping out of the scene here? And then they go back and read that chapter, and then they jump back to the beginning because they they feel like they've missed the story. So in a fun way, it's actually we're seeing getting kids to go back to the beginning after they're done playing with it and, and realize, oh, there's a story here. I want to read it.
1: I got to say, two of my favorites, um, I, I think one was the comic book. And I, I don't want to give away too much in the interview because we want people to read the book. But one was the comic book. That was really cool. And then, and then the other one that I thought worked really, really super well was, and, and you'll know what I'm talking about, it's the, uh, when they're filming the rabbit scene. And that, yeah. that AR one, that one, for some reason for me, that one just landed. The, 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 the video in that one worked so well.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you liked that one because that was the team's, uh, though, the hardest one to program to get the bunny to do all of that. And we won't have any spoilers, but it's a fun way. You know, we wanted the story, obviously, the editors at Harper were very smart in saying everyone has to be able to understand and love the characters and read the story without any of the apps in the augmented reality. It was just a fun bonus, but I, I think it does make the story come alive a little bit more and you an experience with the characters what that magic could look like.
1: And, and then in the book, you actually also mix in a third media because it's not just text and, or text with illustrations and text with AR, an AR supplement. You also mix in a very comic book style in a couple spots. Was that also something where you said, you know what, there's there's sequences where I know I wanted to be a comic book, or did you hit parts of the book where you said, you know what, I'm just seeing it as a comic?
2: Yeah, I was a big fan of a, a series called Tintin growing up, and I read those religiously, and I always loved Comic books and the way they flow, but one of the issues we were having in the narrative was explaining the actual magic. Um, to do it in one photo wasn't doing justice, and we learned this as we uh, work with different brands on our videos. You know, we do a whole storyboard series leading up to the commercial, so that the agency and the brand knows what the tricks are. It's really hard to explain in you know one or two pictures. So we decided, I think, you know, let's break up uh, four pages every chapter or every chapters and get a little comic section when we're showing the magic sequence so people can really understand, you know, the water bottle turns to, to this and, and et cetera.
1: Let's talk about your storytelling because you've been a storyteller for a really long time and like you like you, like we already talked about you you you're really well known for your short videos. I've watched your kittens fighting with lightsabers and flying <laughs> flying down the halls in their uh, in their in, in their in their X-wings and tie fighters a yep. lot of times. Um How does but then this is a much longer format, maybe not on the creation side, but on the consumption side, because like you said, those videos are maybe 15 seconds on the consumption side. I read this fast, but it still took me, you know, a few hours to read it. I I read it in an evening. Um, How does storytelling in those two different modes relate? Um, Are they different skill sets for you or are they complementary?
2: You know, I think they're they're complimentary. They're very different in a book I had never done before and so I needed a lot of help structuring that and having the pacing. But um, you know, for our Vine videos, when we first started on YouTube and Vine, we found, you know, people was were consuming such short content, especially in the early days of YouTube and Vine. And we had seven seconds to tell a story. When I signed up on that platform, I was thinking, you know, oh, this is gonna be a piece of cake, walk in the park, I'm just gonna record this for seven seconds it'll go fine. But we realized the audience still needed in seven seconds, a beginning, a middle and an end and in vine, you know, an end is kind of usually impactful or, or a, a kind of a punchline to a comedy joke. And you had to deliver the setup, you know, in the five and a half seconds before, likewise, you know, we take kind of the filmmaking style and just put it in some of the book, whether, whether it's starting a chapter a certain way or starting a comic sequence at the right place, um, all that kind of, played into the storytelling for us, but we were excited about this book series because the first one I felt like for me was a learning, a huge learning curve and we have two more coming out with HarperCollins in May and then in the fall. So we're really excited, you know, finishing up the second one now, how that's coming together will be a little bit more polished and the third one, you know, will be our prior our
1: best work. I've got two more questions for you. Then I'll let you go. One, I want to talk about Trisha because she is she's the foil for Zach, and she's like you know the very stereotypical mean girl. Um, did you have any concerns about kind of dropping a girl into that trope, so to speak? And I mean, and that's not to say that girls can't be mean, but do we get to learn more about Trisha as the story progresses? Do we, do we get to see her as more than just the stereotype?
2: Yeah, for Tricia, we were a little bit worried about that, but we kind of at one point just said, you know, let's go with it and, and build this character out. And, and so on the second one, we're going to dive in a little bit more into her, her kind of maybe why she's that way. And, and that's an important topic for us to figure out. You know, bullies aren't bullies just to be a stereotypical bully. You know, there's usually underlying issues, whether it's in family, um, especially going on. And so we can talk about that in the second one as well. And we've also switched up who the bully is because we didn't want to be, you know, hey, it's just a mean girl that's been done a million times. So um, we're excited that we set her up now and now we can dive into who she is.
1: And then my last question for you um, is actually about the Amazing Race, but I promise it actually then comes back to this. You and your wife were on the Amazing Race and my family, we were rooting for you pretty hard. Um, and, we're well, sad, you. and we're sad to see you guys go but you oh, got spoilers. to we got to you guys got to see large parts of the world in a way that that not a whole lot of other people get to see it looking back how has that influenced you as a creator and a storyteller because you got to have these you know avenues opened up that some people don't get
2: yeah the amazing race and all the travel i've done just for work and productions has been uh, a huge gift for me to to see around the world, like you said. And the the biggest thing that I've taken away from all my travels is there's so many different cultures out there. And to not be afraid to dive in and try different cultures and their experiences, um, especially for me going to the Middle East and Asia and and even South America, there's some very, very different cultural experiences that you can have uh, in their normal, ordinary lives. And so just embracing those and being willing to uh, go in there and with an open mind has been uh, kind of the way I like to travel now. And it's kind of changed my view, even when I come back home, realizing, you know, there's not just one way of doing something, uh, even though we think ours is the best way.
1: Zach, the book is a ton of fun. My Magical Life. I'm looking forward to uh, the next ones. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and chatting with me.
2: Thanks, Rob.
0: Author Steve Barry loves to center the plot of his novels around actual historic events, and his latest Cotton Malone adventure is no exception. He told our Pat Farnack how another one of history's unsolved mysteries inspired The Bishop's Pawn.
3: Steve, this is the 50th anniversary of the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. assassination, and I understand that although you had the idea of this kicking around in your head for a while, you held off until now to write this book.
4: I did. Uh, this idea has been – I mean probably got this idea maybe 10, 12 years ago, and I just kept it in my head uh, until this time. I wanted to do a book on the assassination of Martin Luther King. Uh, it, there's never been a impartial, apolitical, objective look at his murder. And to this day, we have no idea why Martin Luther King was killed. And so I, I had this idea of of of, of why of, of how to answer that question, and that was the the core of the novel. And uh, now you uh, now you have the finished book.
3: And a very intriguing idea. Uh, you say that uh, the counterintelligence program of uh, J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI at the time had targeted civil rights leaders, in particular Dr. Martin Luther King and uh that figures large in your story
4: it does the fbi's uh you know vendetta against king uh J. Edgar hoover hated martin luther king and they had a a strong uh, he had a strong feelings towards him, and so he did. He set out to destroy him, and he did some pretty horrible things, which are detailed in the novel, all of which are true. But the core of the book deals, you know, uh, a little bit more than that. It goes a little further than that and deals with something, you know, that that's come to be called the Mountaintop Speech, mm-hmm. and it's the speech that Martin Luther King gave the night before he died. And if you listen to that speech, the whole that the entire speech. Uh, it's quite remarkable because it sounds like a man who knows he's about to die. And that always fascinated me. Uh, King spoke that night without notes, no preparation. Uh, Every word he uttered came right off the top of his head. And so he was speaking pretty much from the heart. And what he says is quite surprising, and it led me to come up with the plot for this novel.
3: It is eerie in uh, reading it, just, just reading it over yourself quietly. Uh, the hairs in the back of my head stood up once again. So it, 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 it's such a powerful speech. Uh, it is. Speech. And,
4: and I was able to get the exact speech itself, which is, uh, I, there's an excerpt of it in the novel. Mm-hmm. So you'll are able to read those, uh, those precise words. And it is, you're exactly right. It is. When you look at it now and you look back, you go, wow, um, this sounds like a man who knows something's coming.
3: You talked about uh, how there really hasn't been uh, uh, a true investigation into the King assassination, and some of the the, uh, facts that you uh, unearthed are are very troubling. Uh, James Earl Ray, for example, was not a trained marksman, and yet, tell us about that.
4: He was a petty criminal, a failed Mm -hmm. petty criminal, actually. He He knew very little about guns and certainly did not know how to fire a rifle at long range and hit somebody, yet he's 200 plus feet away, standing in a bathtub, dangling a rifle outside a window in the dusk, in the light of dusk, and he loads only one bullet into the rifle. Only one. He doesn't put the whole loaded up. Just one round, fires one shot, hits King straight in the head. Quite remarkable. Absolutely quite remarkable. Now, I don't go into the area that someone else shot him. I don't think there's any question that James Earl Ray pulled the trigger. The question is, why? And how? And, and that's never been answered. And so I, I have a, a, a unique look at that.
3: You certainly do. Uh, on a lighter note, and we'll get back to uh, Martin Luther King's legacy, because I think it's an important part of the book, certainly. Uh, on a lighter note, the Bishop's pawn does take us through Florida. Uh, and uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, side trips of all time, which was to the Dry Tortugas by seaplane. That's a fascinating area of the country.
4: It is. And I went there, and I knew right there, there's where Cotton Malone was going to have a, his very first adventure. is going to start right here at the Dry Tortugas. And and you're right. We go from the Dry Tortugas to Lake Okeechobee. Then we go over to to Palm Beach. Then we go up to Melbourne. And we go to uh, up to uh, St. Augustine and then over to Gainesville. Bill, Stark, yeah. Micanope, and we end up at Disney World. So you get a whole run through Florida in this novel.
3: And you also get a backstory of uh, Cotton Malone that uh, readers who, who love this character may not have known.
4: Yes, this is uh this is the 13th book in the series, but it's going to feel like the first because this is Cotton's first adventure. Uh, it's a it's a flashback story to his very first adventure. It's first person, my first time ever writing a full-length novel in first person, and Cotton and I got quite close during the writing of this book a little, <laughs> you know, as first person is is a very intimate thing between the writer and the and the character. And so yes, you're going to learn all about how Cotton Malone became a Magellan Billet agent.
3: Just in time for the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, I think we benefit from revisiting Dr. Martin Luther King and, and the speeches and what he fought for. Was that part of your thinking in constructing a book, a yes, story around it, this?
4: Absolutely. And and there's a lot of message in there from King. There's a lot of King's words in the novel. Um, the There's an overall upbeat message at the end that the, the work is not done and still remains to be done. And uh, Cotton gets caught up in all of this. And there's a um, the novel raises a very interesting and unique look at the murder of Martin Luther King. But it also deals very respectfully with his legacy.
3: I think you're right about that. Uh, What are you working on now?
4: Uh, the next Cotton Malone Adventure, it'll come out in spring of 2019. You stay a year ahead in the book business, so I'll be finishing it up very shortly and turning it in. It's called The Maltese Exchange. It's a pretty cool novel. Uh, Cotton's going back overseas. It's going to be in Malta and dealing with the Knights of Malta.
3: And I bet your next one after that is going to have something to do with North Korea. <laughs>
4: now, I did that in the Patriot thread. I did a little that's something right. with that. Uh, actually, the one after that's going to be pretty interesting. I'm going, so going to be Cotton is going to head to Poland. Oh. For, an, for an interesting adventure in Poland.
3: Wow, you do work far ahead.
4: I say about three books ahead, yes.
3: Well, thank you so much. The uh, Bishop's Pawn. we've been talking to Steve Barry about it today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you,
4: Pat. Appreciate it.
0: And that's where we close the book on this week's podcast. Keep tabs on us or reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. Next time, we'll dive into a book that asks you to consider what would happen if you knew the date of your death.